They say, good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, before we get started, let's pray. Is that all right? Jesus, um, we need you. We need you completely. Um, utterly and totally as we gather um, to see what you are like, um, would you be with us? Would you go before us and prepare hearts and minds to receive um, the reality of who you are? Spirit changes, um, stir in us today, but change us on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Um, would your spirit remind us of your goodness and your peace? Would your word um, find its home in our hearts? And would we be a people who love you and make you known, no matter where we are? We ask all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, I'm Vania. Uh, if you don't know me, that's cool. Um, I serve here uh, as, I guess, director is the title. It's fine. I have a weird thing with titles. Director of Art and Prayer. <laughs> so I have a chance to basically... Um, be the person who helps people be with God, if that makes sense, and um, get to engage with God through things that are beautiful as well. So uh, one of the projects we got to do um, for Ordinary Time, which is the liturgical season, uh, was create a devotional, a creative devotional. So writers from the church and photographers and poets all made work for Ordinary Time. Um, and there is a small little gallery out there. So you have the chance right before Ordinary Time is done because Advent starts in two weeks, yeah. Uh, woo, everybody loves Advent, kind of. Actually, you love Christmas. You think it's just one and the same, but it's okay. Um, Advent actually is pretty sad. <laughs> it's about waiting and grieving and waiting for the Lord to come back. And then we go like, oh my gosh, Christmas. Um, but yeah, Ordinary Time has a small QR code for the gallery um, outside in the lobby uh, right before we switch it up. So if you have a chance to look at it, we'd, um, we'd love that. All right, so... You are joining us this morning on chapter four of Daniel. Uh, this is your first time. Welcome, like Jordan said. Uh, you've jumped in on the fourth week of a teaching series called Planted. Um, and I actually would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons that happened last week and the week before that. You have like three to catch up on to give you context for what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you don't have the chance to do that, that's okay, but it would help really kind of frame up what we've been talking about. Two, if you're here with someone who brought you, I'm so glad you're here. They didn't tell you that you're on week four <laughs> of a sermon series. They didn't catch you up. It's fine to just glare at them right now, glare at them and demand that they pay for your lunch um, as a way to make it, make it all right. Okay, Daniel 4 comes after the well-known story of the fiery furnace. Um, to our dismay, really just my dismay, Pastor Jay didn't do any of the um, Veggie Tales visuals of chocolate bunnies. I was really waiting on that. And if you don't know what Veggie Tales is, it's basically a children's animated story where vegetables and a computer tell you about the Bible. Um, it is definitely from the 90s. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's a desktop computer named QWERTY. <laughs> Um, but the bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny, was in my soul when he brought it up. Didn't happen. That's fine. Um, instead, he reminded us that our phones are soul-sucking. Uh, they fuel our idolatry. And if you dial three sixes in a row on an iPhone, Satan might pick up. Um, I'm just kidding. That's just an Android feature. Um, <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> no, actually, Jay gave us the chance to see that we are worshiping gods in this um, culture, false gods like power, money, and the self, and then really gave us some key ways to identify the places of worship in which we um, find ourselves giving our time, our talent, and our treasure to false gods. He also showed us his tears, uh, his adult male tears over football. Um, so thank you, Pastor Jay, who's not here, um, but I just want to know I've held that 
want him to know I've held that in my heart, him crying. That picture has been warm for me. All right, so the series planted, the main theme is that the people of God, meaning those who have placed their faith in Christ, who are submitted to his lordship and thus enter into his union, are actually exiles in our world. And we've been looking at the book of Daniel to explore these themes. Daniel is a book about God's people, Israel, being physically conquered and subjugated in Babylon. They were um, colonized. Um, They literally were taken out of their home and told to change everything against their will. The people were expected to adopt foreign customs, foreign languages, and foreign gods of worship. But the Israelites were Yahweh's people first. Instead of enmeshing with the culture, that means to become like it, or revolting against it and adopting a burn-it-all-down mentality, God would actually have them choose a third way of living. The third way, as the Bible Project calls it, is one of subversion and loyalty. And the language we have been using uh, to name the people of God who live a third way is called the creative minority. Um, The people who are loyal to the king, or the creative minority really is people who are loyal to a king regardless of what kingdom they find themselves in. Their resolve to find and live in his reality live in the way that he has prescribed at all times, and as a result, they become renewing agents in that foreign land. And the way of living as, the way of living the third way by nature is subversive. And I want to talk about what subversive actually means. So subversion is defined, or really refers to a process by which the values and principles of a system in place are contradicted or reversed in an attempt to transform the established social order, and its structures of power, authority, hierarchy, and social norms. So basically, it's like an Uno reverse card. You know, it's like Uno reverse. Uh, I know Thanksgiving is coming up, so if you really want to see the strength of your family, please please bring an Uno deck um, to family Thanksgiving and decide how you want to write your will at the end of it, Um, because it's going to go great. At least my family... uh, really does not respect anyone. Um, My parents are also ministers, which is weird, but then you want to see anger and um, bitterness and gloating and pride surround the Uno game. But it's a reversal. It's a reversal. It sneaks in under it. It's entering the world. It's being in it, but not of it, but from the inside. It's practicing another kingdom's customs that critiques the kingdom that you're in from the inside, which in turn confronts its brokenness, and it re-images what God's goodness actually looks like. It's an embodied inversion that invites repentance so transformation and renewal might take place. And most don't realize, like, that's what most of the Bible is, subversive. So many ask questions like, why isn't Scripture more outright clear on certain issues? Like, why then just say it with your chest? Say it clear, Jesus. Why can't we find this specific thing to point to to say this is bad or this is good or that's not how it should be? Many times it's because the active command, if practiced, wouldn't even need a secondary specific command if necessary. If we did the first thing, we wouldn't need specificity. For example, why didn't Paul write out disavow class-based slavery in Rome. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no Greek, no Jew, no slave, no free, and the command to feed, clothe, offer hospitality and shelter to the poor, along with every other one another passage practiced in the face of the ruling culture where they valued people really being worthless based upon their uh, class status and saw them as people meant to be ruled and discarded, if we actually followed that in face of that, it would dismantle it. It wouldn't be able to exist. So if you don't need the specific, because you did the first one. And it did. People, in, uh, people became Christians in early, um, people became Christians in Rome, in the Roman Empire, because of the dignity found in community. Um, their care for the poor, so much so that the powers that be thought If we're actually going to control the masses, get our power back, because persecution isn't working, it's actually strengthening it, then they had to adopt Christianity as a political power and abuse it 
to keep it and to Christendom. We talked about that weeks one and two. Go back and listen about what Christendom is. But you could see that scripture was so subversive in your face, but almost like a reversal to invert and show you what God's true goodness was like. It dismantled empires. The way of living with the allegiance of Christ is disruptive. The way of living the third way is prophetic. Prophetic being that it proclaims God's reality, rulership, way, and words, that his way is right. In other words, it tells the truth. So let's see how truth actually unfolds in Daniel. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. It's okay if you don't know where Daniel is. Um, It's really small. Um, The concordance is your friend. But it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Uh, We have them for free. Uh, Let us know. All right. I'm going to read verses 19 through 22. Then Daniel, also called... Belteshar was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Cool. Dropped you right in the middle of this dream explanation. What happened before is that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and none of his magical men, I like calling them magical men because there's like a thousand names for his advisors. Um, So all of them are gonna be magical men today. They couldn't interpret it. So he calls on Daniel who was given a clear, uh, who's in the past has given him a clear interpretation before. The dream goes on and a holy one in the dream comes down and says, cut the tree, leave the stump, and gives the eerie proclamation of a man becoming animal-like and losing his mind, being driven into the fields to live like an animal, eating grass for a small amount of time until where verse 17 says, the living may know that the highest is sovereign over all, kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone. The living may know that the highest is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he chooses and sets over them the lowliest people. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what it means. He's completely freaked out. And surprisingly, none of his magical men could help him. Seems fishy because it's kind of very direct (laughs) what this dream might mean. They're like, oh, no, we don't know. We are scared to tell you the truth. So let's keep reading through Daniel's interpretation. Starts at verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree. The Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. It's tough. It's very tough. It's hard. It's a hard word to hear. Now, there's a lot going on in chapter 4, and we yet again see another example where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and no one can answer it except the followers of Yahweh. These exiled Hebrews are pointing to the fact that God is in control of the whole universe, and the king needs to humble himself before judgment comes. We also see the faithfulness of God's people to be present and resolve to serve no other king than the one that they call Yahweh, while under pressure. Daniel is in front of his captor, 
He's in front of the one who has blood on his hands from his people, who's enslaved his people, and yet still declares God's ultimate reality, calls him to repent, and tells him the truth. Just listen to it for a second. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Now, um, I just want to do a little, little survey of the room real quick. Raise your hand if you had trouble telling the truth as a child. Like you were like the white lie kid. I had to qualify it for you. You were just a liar. No, put your hands up. Be proud of your sin. <laughs> right? Great. I don't even know if I should believe you because, you know, you got a lying problem. <laughs> okay. Now, which one of you likes the truth like too much? Like you a snitch. Like you find opportunities to tell the truth. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> Some of you are owning that. Okay. It's funny. Uh, I told, I was with my roommate. Like, hey, Lydia. Hey, girl. Okay, one of my roommates. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, watching a lot of crime dramas because what else are you going to do? Um, and you were talking about, you know, what if, you know, if I had called you because we got to hide a dead body, you know, would you come? And I was like, I would. But if we get arrested, I'm snitching. <laughs> like, I am protecting myself. Like, there are some people crime mom got you yes mom you call me you have something emergent coming for you my siblings I am singing okay I am getting me a plea deal all right so don't don't call me if you're in trouble <laughs> I will tell the truth <laughs> probably not with the right motives though okay um but now we are people of the truth in our faith is in Christ lived out through our works then we are one in him Christ um we're told about who God is in the book of John. We're told that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And John 1 says that Jesus was full of truth and that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, I am not going to spend my time trying to convince you that there is such a thing called truth, moral absolutes, or objective reality. There are there's enough material in the universe <laughs> uh, by people a lot smarter than me um, to get into. And some of them I'll actually uh, like recommend for you. So I really appreciate uh, Tim Keller's work for his readability, uh, Reasons for God, Making Sense of God. If you really want to understand about the realities of truth and is there truth. Um, Lisa Fields, an apologist who runs the Jude 3 Project, does a lot of cultural specific apologetic work. It's kind of the umbrella that these live in, under. And Kem Newt Wan is a... Um, is a lovely theologian, um, but also does a lot of work around uh, the reality of God. And then, of course, the OG C.S. Lewis. Like, please go take your time and look up these names. See if you have these, like, really big questions about the universe. And is it real? What does it all mean? Um, I'm just going to go from this point, assuming that we believe truth, we believe that God's word is true, and how do we function in that. I'll spend most of our time encouraging us on how to speak truthfully with courage as creative minorities. Yeah? But if you need the first part, it's totally fine. We're here for you. All right, speaking the truth. Now, when we say speak the truth, I mean declaring God's reality and his design in all things. God's reality, God's design in everything. This, of course, can mean scripture, like for sure. Like we all know that one friend who like has like 17 scriptures in the back pocket ready for every moment, even if inappropriate. You're like, okay, thank you. I appreciate you reading your word. Um, it also means sharing the gospel, of course, but it can also mean illuminating everyday situations with God's ideas so they might be realigned. To speak the truth well, um, that's with conviction, to qualify what well means, with conviction. In an opposed society, we need to know and have a couple of things with us. The three things, if we're going to speak the truth well, our integrity and courage, love and grace, and practice. Tell them about practice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. All right, integrity and courage. 
in Daniel, this is not the first time we see the Hebrews having to speak directly to power, or as our culture calls it, speaking truth to power in the face of pressure and threat. Each time they do, they show their allegiance to the true God. Verse 27 starts, therefore, your majesty. Remember, Daniel is talking to the king. This is directed to someone who is in power. Daniel is faithful regardless of who is in front of him. This is called integrity. What a word for our time. When you look up definitions for integrity, there are some phrases that stick out to me. Integrity includes the quality of being honest, the state of being whole or undivided, the condition of being unified, and a personal favorite of mine, internal consistency or lack of corruption. To be internally ordered, you have to know who you are and to know whom, to whom you belong. You must have a solid identity not to fold under pressure. Daniel's, um, let's go back to the pressure. If you have an idea that you're going to be able to withstand the pressures of today, but not have something else to sit on, it's gonna be really hard to be consistent and keep integrity, to speak consistently no matter who's in front of you. But where does that power actually come from? It comes from being with God and knowing him. That rooted identity has to come from being with God and knowing him. Daniel's life would have been ordered by prayer. That's being with God and worshiping God. He was a devout follower of Yahweh, and his life was oriented around the time, times of remembering God in any way he could, even within a place that didn't welcome it. All for the purpose of retelling God's story to himself, retelling God's story to himself and his people, basically bringing the reality of God back to his forefront, the reality in front of his reality putting God in his rightful place and Daniel and his people in the rightful place, and that would be, even in exile, the palm of God's hand, come what may. They trusted God. His life orients around being with God and knowing him. In the book uh, Creative Minority by Heather Grizzell and John Tyson reads, Daniel had been in Babylon for almost 70 years. This is by chapter 9. Yet we find that he is ordering his time around the evening sacrifice. He had not seen a sacrifice at the temple in decades. In fact, the temple had been destroyed, yet his internal reality was not defined by the Babylonian calendar, but by the rhythms of God that fueled his life. So how much more for us who have the fulfillment of God's promise his covenant forgiveness and redemption in Christ Jesus, should we be immersed in the presence, the worship, and the word of God? We've got to get with him. We've got to sit with him. Let his presence and word saturate us, overwhelm us until you know who you are in Christ. It's in your bones. It is unshakable. It's in the marrow. It's deep within you because the reality is you will not be able to do in public what has not been practiced in private. If it has not been produced in you, you won't be able to fake it. We have to have a practice loyalty. That's integrity, consistency, regardless of where you are or who's in front of you. It's crazy we talk about pressure. Um, We always think about pressure as like peer pressure, and it just like stays in middle school. (laughs) You're like, peer pressure was so bad. I'm so glad I'm over it. Over it? (laughs) Good for you. Tell me how to do, how do we do that more? Um, essentially, peer pressure is actually defined as a feeling that one must do the same things as other people of one's age and social group in order to be liked or respected by them. The things that popped out to me were the same things to be in order to be liked or respected. That's an identity issue. You need someone to recognize you and love you. But if you're a Christian, you already have that. You can transpose that into coworker pressure, mom's group pressure, boss pressure, you know, career pressure. Or think about it how, how Jay brought these ideas of where we might actually have to lay down those idols. Marketplace pressure, dating pressure, career pressure, cultural pressure. If you're going to be consistent, 
you have to know who you are. And if you're a person of truth, you're free. Free on like so many levels. Truth literally sets you free. And free people are not controlled by other people's opinions. They are settled in the only opinion that matters, and that's the God of the universe's love for you through Christ Jesus. If it's not the rock, you will be shaken. Now, it doesn't, now speaking truth doesn't mean like you can just speak truth and not be afraid, or like it comes without fear. Like I'm gonna be honest and never be afraid. I would love some of that. Let me know. Um, Daniel feared. Check verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, Belteshazzar answered and continues on, but it's almost like the king acknowledges that whatever he's telling Daniel, Daniel's before him and he's going to have to be honest and it may not be good news. He says, don't let it alarm you. And we all know like the quote that starts like, courage is not the absence of fear, but an assessment or judgment of something else that is more important than fear. I Googled that, didn't realize it was quoted by so many people, <laughs> didn't know the author. Someone said, it's like Franklin Roosevelt. Um, but I'm not, I'm not opposed to that idea at all, that like, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. Um, but I'm gonna pose something different. That courage is actually a function of faith. That you believe God and his desires so much that you are willing to act on them regardless of the outcome because those are up to him. In Daniel 3, where the three Hebrew boys didn't bow, this is their response. It blew me away when I look back to read it. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want to know, want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their faith fueled their courage. So you have to tell the truth. And you got to say it when you're scared. My mom uh, says to me all the time, do it and do it while you're scared. She like, her checklist for me is like, did you pray about it? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Do you have peace about it? Yeah. Are you still scared? Yes. Do it while you're scared. If all the work has been done, it's aligned with the word, whatever in decision-making process, do it while you're scared. Um, there's a story uh, for college students out there, an example of like when this happened in my life. Um, I was a sophomore. Um, my major was dance. That's right, dance and choreography, love the arts. <laughs> um, and we spent a lot of time learning a lot of cultural forms of dance from all over the world. Um, and one of them, my sophomore semester, you don't get to pick your like schedule. You, like you have a, like a select codified way you move through the program. I'm in my sophomore year and they're like, all right, now it's like world dance time. We're learning everything from traditional West African to classical Indian dance, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, cool, it's so great. And we get into the classical Indian dance class and um, we're learning about it. I love learning about cultures, food, music, the whole thing. But you have to understand, dance is an embodied practice. You participate. Like, you have to participate in whatever's happening in the room. Um, so we're learning about how this form of dance basically is integrated with the religious system. That to the music, like the music patterns that the drums play that you dance to are storytelling of the epics of their gods. And how each movement actually from, like, the intricacies of hand movements to the way they look, all sort of stuff, is... Um, also recanting the ideas of their gods. Now this dance form had been secularized in their culture, like it used to be like a temple thing, and now they just did it like for fun. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I was like trying to talk to myself, like this is fine, it's fine, it's all fine, it's fine. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get peace with it. 
um, because I didn't have like a sacred secular divide for me. Like I didn't have a, I can do it. I can tell these stories about these other gods and dance this music and participate in what felt like worship with my own body because worship for me included my body. I worship God with my body. I worship Yahweh with my body. And so therefore by me giving myself over to this outside of this academic feat, it wasn't settling. Now we can you know, argue you know, all the ways you could or can't. It wasn't about do or don't. It just didn't settle because everything down to the T was about worshiping something else. So while I was scared, <laughs> I went to my head of department and through cracked voice and um, lots of anxiety, I tried to explain. Now this is a, this is a secular department, like, <laughs> a secular higher education. I'm paying y'all all these thousands of dollars that, hallelujah, might be paid back, Jesus. And thousands of dollars to get this education. And I'm staring at the head of my department talking about, I need a class change because it's after the time. Like, can I get an excuse? And she's like, you know, why? I just needed you not to ask why. I needed you to just sign the paper. And so I had to go on and explain how I have an embodied faith practice that includes all of me. And by, by doing this, I felt like I was betraying the reality of who I actually worship. I loved to learn, but by participating, it, it, it crosses a line into something I can't actually participate in. And to my surprise, it was received well. I remember the thing she said back to me was, okay, well, I can see that you, I mean, you're not disrespecting it. I understand what's going on. Yeah, we can totally make that work. Um, I thought I was going to get thrashed. Like, I, thought, <laughs> I was going to be like, you're being ridiculous. Um, and I'm just sharing it to say, like, it wasn't perfect. I stumbled. I'm pretty sure, like, I, like, I choked on something in the middle of that conversation. Like, but do it when you're scared because it's about who you worship. It's about who you want to honor with your whole body, with your whole mind, with your whole person. So a texture of that conversation had respect or what I want to call love and grace. The texture of our truth telling should be loving. Um, it doesn't mean it's watered down at all. It doesn't mean you hide. It doesn't mean you like skirt <laughs> the actual reality. When they ask why, tell them why. But it does mean that you're cognizant of the human being made in the image of God of whom you're speaking with, while simultaneously remembering the grace of God shown to you in Jesus Christ. Everything cannot be a mic drop. Everything can't be a truth bomb. Just like, the truth! And let it explode, and people are confused. Like Daniel... You are to be aware of who you're in front of and like the three Hebrew boys, unmoved by their position of power. 1 Peter 3, 13b uh, through 16 says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you um, who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It seems pretty clear that you got to be ready to share what supposedly has changed our entire lives, you know? If it's changed your whole life, that the king of heaven <laughs> coming for you change your entire life, we should be ready to share the reality of what God's doing. But the texture we're given is with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So let's like, I practically break that down like one more time, one more step. I think I want to propose some simple questions as you're speaking with whomever you're in front of about bringing God's kingdom to earth. If we want to do that with a clear heart and mind, we might want to ask ourselves some questions. Number one being like, did you pray? <laughs> did you pray during, before this conversation, while you're talking? What is the spirit actually prompting in your moment? Are you trying to get to a goal? Especially for you, you came in up in a tradition mind, real Baptist. We was out there evangelizing. You know, you just had to get the script through. <laughs> you're like, you got to get through the script. 
Um, but what? never ask the Holy Ghost, what are you doing, Lord, in this moment? Are there any ulterior motives going on in your heart? If you're speaking just truth into every day, like, Loki, are you telling them this because you're angry at them? Because maybe they're your roommate and they stole your cookies and now you're pissed. And so you got to tell them the truth about their sin of thievery. <laughs> Check your heart. Are there any ulterior motives going on in your heart? Is anything motivating you other than the love of Christ and the reality of God invading this person in front of you? Why take the time to be intentional? Because we're supposed to do it with a clear conscience. God actually cares about your internal ordering, your integrity, your heart, your soul, your mind. That's what you serve him with. Clear. Perfection is not to be had. There is grace and blood for that. But intentionally asking in the moments, why? Why am I doing this? And even one more step to just know like where we live in the world for our cultural moment. Are you mindful? Whoever you're in front of, talking to a group of, are you mindful of your positioning in culture, of your power, status, money, access, gender, or race? Now, why do I bring that up? That by no means, wherever you may fall in any of those structures is supposed to be that you don't share. God, no, please share. Do, do what Jesus told you to do but it may mean you need to be prepared for a critique. And are you prepared for a critique? And even in your critique, are you prepared to cut through the noise like Jesus at the woman at the well and ask, where's your husband? Jesus came through. She was like, you a man? <laughs> he was like, correct. You're a Jew. Correct. So that means we're not supposed to be doing this. Throughout, you, you know where to worship. I, you, I don't know where to worship. Go back, read in John 4. You're worshiping the right place. You're a half, you're a half, all this other context around them. Cuts through the noise and asks her about the heart issue. Where's your husband? And lastly, practice. Seems so big and scary telling the truth. Practice. Up until this point, we've seen Daniel remain loyal um, to his true king in the face of other scribes, wise men, and rulers, or magical men, as we've dubbed them. Daniel's whole job was basically to just tell the truth. Like, he was called upon to interpret things that would reveal things that God wanted him to see. So it's no surprise that he was to remain faithful uh, because he practiced. We don't know how many small moments prepared Daniel for these rec recorded big moments, yeah? And if you, like, grew up in church your whole life, you read Daniel, what's the thing you hear all the time, especially for men? You gotta dare to be a Daniel. <laughs> dare to be Daniel. <laughs> it's all about courage and overcoming things and overalls uh, and cutting down trees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love y'all so much. <laughs> but the reality is over this like overcoming idea is that if we're going to practice obedience and fidelity, the small moments matter. Like everyone is out here daring to be a Daniel looking for this big moment to shine in the face of death for Jesus. But you like just won't stop scrolling after like your time is up, like, you know, oh, it's been two hours. I should probably stop. Looking to face lions. Got to get those lions, but you like won't break up with your girlfriend because you need to. Or looking for like that fiery furnace, but you're still extremely stingy and like not generous <laughs> and have just kind of made everything about you. Like, make it make sense, y'all. The private moments. It's not these televised big moments, but the small acts of faithfulness. How you talk to your children when no one is around. How you love your spouse off of Facebook. Because that's y'all still be on Facebook. <laughs> like, is a kind word ever spoken to your roommate? You have to live on it to speak on it.
um, for me, the first time, I think when you first get, uh, first come to know the Lord, or first get saved, or however you want to pray that Jesus is working on things in your heart, um, and you recognize him as Lord, um, it's very easy to see, like, the list of things all of a sudden change. It's like the stuff you didn't care about, you, like, now have small convictions about. For me, it was orange juice. So I came to know the Lord at, like, 14, 15, and my mom would always be like, don't drink out of the carton. Like, don't drink out of the carton of the orange juice in the fridge. Up to this point, <laughs> could care less. If she wasn't there, I wasn't going to catch a fade. I was going to drink it. <laughs> um, just didn't care. All of a sudden, Jesus comes in and, like, start hearing stuff like, obey your parents. And because, like, you know, long life and, like, they love you. And just, like, little things. I'm like, I am convicted about this orange juice. <laughs> I remember legit opening the fridge grabbing the carton, shaking up and being like, the Lord's been like, you know, your mom loves you. Like, she does not want this. Like, this isn't, like, about sin. It's just about, like, can I honor the woman who loves me? And the Lord is trying to lead me in love in that. So I drunk the orange juice. <laughs> but then it kept growing. This theme kept growing about can you just honor and walk in love? So I eventually put the orange juice back. It's the small moments of obedience. I think when, like, it's all fresh and new, it seems like, like everything is bright. You're like, wow, I, can, I know what to turn away from. But if you've been doing this for a minute, been walking with the Lord, like, thank God for his grace for keeping you. But there are still things he's calling us to lay down if we're listening to them. So those small moments of obedience, whether this is new to you, fresh to you, or old to you, we still have to lean in because, again, you have to live it if you're going to talk about it. you got to live the truth to speak the truth. We have to practice living under his lordship in order to practice speaking on it. If not, what do we actually become? Liars? Or at least hypocrites? Sounds like harsh, but like that's legit the definition. <laughs> like you do something other than what you proclaim. We all do it. But Jesus is the way of the truth. Somebody else is the way of lies. Consistency, integrity, integration. But when it is time to speak, we must speak. Especially when prompted by like the Holy Spirit to maybe, you know, everyday situations, maybe like, <laughs> don't let that joke slide. That awkward moment where you're like, mm, maybe we don't. Maybe we choose not to let that joke slide. Maybe we actually, in love, confront, correct, and inform whoever made the joke how God actually sees those people who are different than them. Maybe we simply can say like, no, sis, I'm good. I'm topped off. I'm getting ready to go home. I don't need any more, cash me out, and share why the reality of God as Lord of our body and being in our right mind actually glorifies him. Or no can do, boss. <laughs> Not lying on these taxes. <sighs> Thanks, bro. Whatever those daily situations are where there is a, uh, a reality of the world that seems normal, but God's reality would dictate something different. But what about that random moment when God actually tees you up to fully and explicitly share what you believe? Do it. And tell the story. Tell the entire whole story. Um, if you come from big E evangelicalism or reform spaces, the note for you is to start from the beginning. Not just a justification not just the cross. Start from the value and dignity that God endowed upon humans out of love before the fall. If he's, what is he pursuing? You know, ask that, what is he pursuing? What's the whole story? If you come from mainline spaces, don't skip justification. Hell is hot, <laughs> okay? Our judgment is real. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Don't skip it. And for everybody in between, include the reality of God's invitation to see us as new creations in Christ and to be a part of renewing work now. 
We're not waiting for some world out there where there's no crying, no pain. We just ready to get to heaven. <laughs> it's long. This earth is long. It's, I mean, for some, for most we hope. It's long here. We got work to do. Not to accomplish anything, but we've been given value and dignity and purpose. Hands and gifts that glorify the Lord. So ready to skip to heaven because we don't want no pain. You might you have an idol of comfort. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> that was for me. So you got to tell the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. And practice it. Um, so, homework at church. <laughs> um, it would be great for you sometime this week to practice with a brother or sister. Like, this is completely for you. I've never really practiced sharing God's story. Whether it's house, church, coffee shop, gym, on the phone. Answer for one another. What is God doing in the world? How is he doing it? And why does it matter? Can you answer that? Someone dead up was like, what is God doing in the world? How and why does it matter? I know if you're anything like me, you have like, you got shapes, okay? You got circles, you know, bridges. <laughs> so many models to tell one particular part of the story. But can you tell the whole story? Because remember, being a creative minority is living a third way in the world. A part of that is prophetic proclamation, proclaiming God's reality, proclaiming what is true in the small situations in life, in the big, the big moments to share what you believe, but being truthful at all times, all times. By telling the truth, we put up a mirror to the world and say, this is what you look like. It's disruptive. But we hope that moment of proclaiming echoes and swells and amplifies until the hearers soften and can hear the kingdom of heaven is at hand, turn and believe. Or put another way in the words of Daniel, renounce your sin by doing what is right. We slice through this facade of a film between God's ultimate reality, what is actually true, aligned and real, and the world we live in. Scripture says that the spirit, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Now the word is truth. So in that film, we speak truth, we like slice through that film and it unfurls that false reality. And for a moment, we can see what's real. And when we open our mouths, we bid other people to follow us. Follow. Because I'm following somebody else who called me to follow. Telling the truth isn't about putting badges on your chest. I'm so, um, I have so much candor. It's just living aligned in the reality that God has. Practicing it with love and grace, with courage when you're scared. Yes, it's been endowed, but what other, I think for me what gets me is like, what other purpose is there? What is the alternative? Living something that's not real. To do what? Preserve a false idea as long as we can? To what end? Till we forget about it? Christianity, like Tim Keller says, is like the smelling salts of the world, actually. It's not a lull to the masses or something to control. It wakes you up to the reality of what God has been doing. We're the only people, I know that sounds crazy, how dare I use a absolute, God's story is the only one that really has an answer for the pain, for the suffering, 
for the brokenness, for the disjointedness, for the hate, for the cruelty, a response that trumps vengeance, <laughs> that subverts reality and says, rather than gain power, I'd give it. To rule, I'll die. For life, I'll lay it down. There's a greater reality of a greater story of a good God who is worth proclaiming in the small ways and the big ways. So we can just see that God has been using his people to do that for thousands of years. Thank God for Daniel and the big moments. But I would encourage you to honor the Lord in the small moments so you can be prepared to speak and there would be integrity in yourself so that God might be glorified and we might see his reality in all things because that's ultimate goodness and that goodness would flourish and that this earth would taste renewal until that time is to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, you just being better, <laughs> being smarter than us, being wiser than us. Um, God, I just pray over hearts who um, are feeling the tug, feeling the tug between one way of living and one way of believing and seeing versus your goodness, your way, your word. I pray that surrender would be sweet. I pray that boldness would grow with honesty and love and integrity. And I pray that you would do a work in us starting today, ending with our last breath, and that we would find strength and hope for every step of that journey. In Christ alone, we thank you for life. In Christ alone, we thank you for breath. Lord, um, we ask you to keep moving and do it only you can do. Jesus.